0: Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition.
1: Hello, and welcome to Louise's Health Kick Podcast. Today, I am really delighted to be joined by Rend, the CEO and founder of SugarWise. Now, I'm often talking about the links of sugar and health and that it's not just me being mean. There are real health implications to eating too much sugar, and I'm not the only one on this mission. So I want to introduce Rand and just tell us, Rand, what made you get involved and and start the Sugar Wise mission? What was it
0: that really drove you to start it all? I went bonkers, basically. So, like to cut a long story short, this was even before Jamie Oliver was going on about sugar. Um, I had a daughter um, at 2014. Um, and I rescued her and then we got to the point where we were weaning and she can't tolerate milk. So, um, we had to go for non-dairy, um, formula milk. And so I looked in the shops and the first ingredient for the non-dairy formula milk was glucose syrup. Um and I, I I was really shocked because I thought, surely I I know that milk has got a lot of sugar, naturally, like breast milk will have a lot of sugar, but does it have that much sugar? And I checked the nutritional between the non-dairy milk that I, I I could have bought. I never bought it by the way. I ended up making my own concoction out of coconut milk and soy milk. Um, but it actually had eight times the amount of sugar of breast milk. It's very sweet and it has a lot of sugar in it. So I would have thought that it should be you know, for health and this kind of thing. And these are babies, you know, they're babies. I would have thought that you would have to, um, you know, basically that it would be basically approximately the same because of the health babies and all of this sort of thing. And at that point, that's when I saw the red flag and I thought that this is, you know, that's when I became a crazy lady. Um, and I was the only crazy lady actually at that time, there were nobody else, you know, to, to, Jamie wasn't even on, on this thing yet. Um, it was only later that I ended up meeting him in Parliament when he was, um, talk, you know, talking about the childhood obesity crisis and sugar and this type of thing. But it, at that time, he was um, not saying anything, and I was, I was screaming. And I remember going around the nurseries with my husband, looking at the menus and seeing how much sugar was on the menus, and getting pretty distraught. And my husband would be trying to kind of rein me in with you know, listen, my wife feels really strongly about this. So, um, just, you know, and then he'd be like, just calm down, calm down. This is, this is just the way things are. And I just thought this isn't acceptable because later on that year, the world health organization published guidance that we shouldn't be having more than 5% of our calories coming from what they call free sugars. And also the medical examiner in the UK said that, um, children born today are expected to live a shorter life than their own parents. Absolutely. That's one statistic that I
1: often quote and I think people are it, it's a shocking phrase um and it is well documented if you look for it but I think people don't want to think about that and they I don't know about you Rand but I often hear cuz I started my sugar mission slightly later than you cuz my little boy when he started um Coming, interviews very much the same as you, and um, he was a little bit uh, a few years later. But I was thinking the same. I'm not feeding him this, and then I started a little bit later. But people don't want to hear, and I often get told, "Well, it, it's just a treat. It doesn't do them any harm. It never did me any harm." And and I think the real the real issue for me is we're not comparing like for like. The food landscape today is is so different and so much more full of these hidden sugars and we'll come on to the confusion about sugars a little bit later but I think people just think sugars in sweets in cakes in chocolate in biscuits and we know that we shouldn't eat loads of them I don't think people fully realize where they lurk in all of the other places And, and as you say for babies and very young children the foods that are meant to be you know The first foods developing their palate. It's very important that we develop their palate in a healthy way. It's is full of sugar. And and that's where the real problem lies because then we're developing those taste preferences from a very early age and it's not just it's not just a little bit anymore it's not just a treat and I don't like the treat association with sugary foods that what you said there about the life expectancy is something that I often use because when we look at any health trends and any health statistics and and I recently did um, a podcast with an NHS pediatrician and she said 80 if not 90 percent of of cause mortality now is is lifestyle-led. And and that is what we eat, how we move, how stressed we are, et cetera. And it sounds simple, but they are factors we can influence. It's not easy to influence, but they are factors we can influence. And if we can influence 90% of cause mortality, surely that's something we
0: need to be doing? Absolutely. And it is a serious thing. It's not a laughing matter. It's not a joke. It's like there are lots of things that are funny, you know, um, but this isn't, you know, this is something that we really need to take seriously. And it tends to be laughed off. Um, And I think that as a parent, I remember this experience of just, you know, my husband trying to calm me down and then the nursery being sort of like, oh, well, you know, we all like a little treat and, and just kind of laughing it off. They did actually send me an email saying, you know, sometime later saying that they had revised the menu. But what they had done, it turned out, and I don't know if you've picked up on this in any of the settings you've looked at, but what they did was, they made everything homemade. So instead of sticky toffee pudding, it became homemade sticky toffee pudding. So they thought everything was really healthy and I would be really happy. But of course, if you add the sugar yourself by hand, you're still adding sugar and it doesn't make it healthy. And I think this movement of organic and natural and homemade has actually really been working against, you know, public health in a lot of ways because sugar can be organic. It doesn't make it healthy. And then that, that adds to the public confusion, doesn't it? Because you just don't know agave syrup and nectar. I mean, that sounds great. The coconut nectar. I mean, it sounds like, you know, it's been picked by monkeys in the Andalusian forest or whatever. It sounds fantastic, but it's still sugar. That's what gets me. That's the thing that gets me really, get, you know, passionate and, and really upset. And usually I'll cry. I might even cry on this podcast because what absolutely upsets me is when people are trying to do the best for their kids when they're trying to choose the healthy options, when they're being told that these things are more healthy and they've got this halo around them because they're, and they're spending more money on them.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it's, is it, it's, I think it's three times more expensive on average to buy something that is labeled as as healthy. Um, and whether that is, you know, truly healthy or, or claiming to be healthy. Now on those claims, Ren, this is where I think you really come in because your sugar wise, um, the, the logo tell us about the logo and who can use it and how do they get to use it and what does it mean and, and this makes it a lot easier for consumers when they understand this well
0: when I um, had this confusion around different things and my husband as well when we were picking things for our daughter we thought wouldn't it be nice if the stuff actually made the claims that, that like if the, if the claims are actually accurate if this thing really was sugar-free or this thing really was low sugar um, which actually a lot of them weren't if it's quite shocking. Um, and in fact, I can tell you now that about, about, um, ha- how, much 20% of the products that get submitted to us as a certification body cannot make the claims that they're already making or that they think they can make. And these are the products that are submitted to us. So you think, you know, how many sugar-free, you know, croissants are there that are using honey and they think that they can label them sugar free. And this happens particularly for the sort of maybe smaller, you know, providers, the more, you know, independent and which is which is also a trend going for sort of more independent street food type things. Um, and it happens quite a lot. So there's a lot of confusion there. And actually originally I wasn't thinking about making a logo um, or kind of creating a certification at all. I was just thinking about creating healthy snacks for Kids and, and I was messing around in the kitchen making some recipes. And a friend of ours came back with some low sugar ice cream. Um, yeah. And he said, Is that the sort of thing you want to make? And I said, Well, yeah, somebody's already made it. And then I realized that actually, I don't really want to make all of this stuff or any of it. I just want somebody to make it. I want it to be mm-hmm. made and I want, I want it to be more visible and available of so the best, be more demand for it. And I thought, I can go out and buy a vegan, halal, kosher. Burger, for example. But if there's something, if, you know, if I'm trying to avoid sugar as a lifestyle, there's nothing that shouts to me. This is good from the perspective of sugars or free sugars or the sugars you need to limit in the diet. This is good from from that point of view. There's nothing. There's no label for sugar. And I said this in my usual passionate way to my husband. Bit of background. My name's Rend, as you know. I it's an Iraqi name. It's very unusual, and I'm very sort of passionate and arabic actually like in my culture so we do sort of uh, have quite a different culture i noticed that sort of english tend to be more toned down to be honest in general and um, i think you might be an exception louise when you <laughs> possibly mark
1: mark would probably say so the guy who does all the editing <laughs> he would he would agree with that one
0: so um so my husband tends to be on the english side of understatement you know so he'll knock down ideas. And his, his job is a software engineer, so that's what he does. He knocks things down. That's what he finds fault with things. So I can always get his opinion, his real opinion on whether a dress looks nice, unfortunately. So he um, is, is very straight. And I said to him this, this idea, what, what, what about label for, sh- for a uh, lower sugar product that's good from that perspective? And there was pause, you know, silence which you don't often get. Usually he'd have, knocked, mm. he'd have found something wrong with it within a few seconds and said. So that was a positive point. That was positive. He said, do you know, that's not a bad idea. And this is the thing I find hilarious. It never says it's a good idea, right? That's the best it will be. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. I was like, wow. You know, that's... Praise indeed. <laughs> that is something. And he said, somebody must have done it. So that was the next thing. Somebody must have done it already. I thought, fantastic. If someone's done it, I'm quite good at, you know, PR and marketing and presenting and stuff like that. If someone's done it, I'll just go and help them with that side of things because I really don't want to do it myself because it's hard work, you know, when you're trying to make something. I mean, I know from having been an entrepreneur in the past, it's not easy. Like I have no glamour around having sort of a fleet of Mercedes or things like that, there's no, I, I have no sort of delusion around being an entrepreneur. It's hard. Having a job is easier. I want, I, you know, I, I was not wedded to the idea. In fact, I was the most reluctant entrepreneur you'd ever find. But my husband said, look, nobody's done it. We've looked the whole world, we've looked in China, the United States, we've looked across Europe. Nobody's done it. And it's an idea that's begging to be done it's in the public health interest and for, for helping people. Tell the difference between a good sweetener and a bad sweetener, a good cereal, a bad cereal. Like just helping people in this way, somebody needs to do it. So he said, Listen, you know, I'm very happy for you to to start working on this. I think it's not a bad idea. And um, and so, you know, I support you. So I was really lucky to have someone who could support me and just basically not pay my salary, but just pay my way. To um, you know man- man- take on the burden of the household and everything, while I just went um, uh, onto Twitter and Instagram and put out a press release. And then learned how the media worked, which was quite another story as well. Because I thought, you see, I did my hair after putting out my first press release, because I thought they'd all be ringing me up for an interview or TV. And I didn't realize it was a lot harder, you know? It's it's very hard, isn't it? it, it, I did get it, but I just, I I look back and I think, you know, that's so funny how I did my hair and waited by the phone. (laughs) For the influx of media attention. Of course, that didn't happen until I ended up sort of taking a picture with Jamie Oliver at, in Parliament. And now I sent that to the local newspaper and they picked that up. And um, and then that, that, you know, BBC then picked up and then that, that kind of thing. So actually, yeah, take a picture with Jamie Oliver if you're looking for the That's pictures. That's what needs to and happen. And that actually that's, does help uh, quite true. a lot. <laughs>
1: absolutely but you've done you've done really well in terms of that 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 logo that you were just talking about and and the launching of that that certification for products and how many products
0: have you got you've worldwide now haven't you you've got a lot of products so we've certified around 1500 products so far in 80 countries um, that said you know some of the products uh have have um you know this is a, a market where you know people sort of Grow or they die. So, some of the products aren't that we'd certainly originally asked for the RAM, but it, around, but around a thousand are current in about 80 countries. And we moved to the school certification, which is really close to my heart, obviously, because I've got a um, soon to be eight year old now. Um, and yes, she's very my similar. Own- I have a just turned eight year old. <laughs> yeah. So, she's, she has a job at Sugarwise. She's my chief inspiration officer. Um, and she always says, I have a job at Sugarwise. I'm mummy's chief inspiration officer. I'm not sure she knows exactly what it means, but anyway. But it sounds very cute. She, she is my chief. And, and so that, um, school, uh, piece was really important to me and I was quite taken aback. I don't know if you're aware that, um, I'm sure this was completely unintentional, but the, uh, nutrient limits um, were taken off with the school food standards in 2015 so that the- I, I yes. was aware of this and it's it's shocking, isn't it's, it? It? It, is, it is surprising. I don't think, I can understand why they did it in a way because they were trying to make things more practical and they were trying to address other issues and, you know, they were trying to make it a, a more manageable Um set of rules for people or guidelines that generally, but sugar was rather overlooked in this. Um, And it, it consequently did end up resulting in the consumption of a lot more sugar. Um, Now, a lot of that, I'm not sort of dissing all of the caterers. I think a lot of them are doing a fabulous job and they're really doing their best. Um, But in terms of the um, legal limits, there are no legal limits on the amount of sugar children can have at school and that's it in, in in you know when you're thinking about obesity and type 2 diabetes um that's happening now in children then that's truly
1: surprising I it is and I, and i just now that you've mentioned type 2 diabetes i do want to just come in on that and and give that some sort of some some air time because i think that's a really important thing to cover now we know we I think people are often surprised to to find out that children are not exempt from what we've previously thought of as adult diseases and and type two diabetes is one of those that we used to consider an adult disease in fact, it used to be called adult onset and I, i'm I think in your presentation, that that I've certainly been spending a lot of time looking at the year 2000, there was one child in the UK. Yeah, so there was a nine year old
0: girl diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in the year 2000. And that was the first case. Before the year 2000, before the millennium, there were no children with type 2 diabetes. But by 2021, the number of children with type 2 diabetes. Uh, actually, the number of children living with type 2 diabetes now in the UK is 3,432.
1: I know. It's, 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 a, it's a very high number, and it's a very shocking number, and it's a very drastic increase. Now, I don't do maths. I don't do numbers, so I can't work out the percentage increase. <laughs> We've got that in common as well. <laughs> I don't do any numbers at all, um, but it's a, it's a very big increase. We can see it's an exponential increase, and what's frightening about type 2 diabetes is that it's a chronic and debilitating condition. So if you're having that from a very, and these are primary age children, you know, included within those figures, so it's a chronic and debilitating condition that does get worse the longer you have it. You are more likely to get more comorbidities the longer you have that condition. And people sometimes are a bit flippant about it because they think, oh, it can be reversed. It can't. It can be put in remission but it it once you have it it's very difficult to to not have a lifetime of associated issues and so i think i just wanted to when you mentioned that i wanted to get that in because i think we do underestimate the damage that sugar can do and i've been referred to as the mad sugar lady in the past probably you have as well um <laughs> because, because you can go on about it, and people can think, "Oh, it's a, it's unachievable." It's 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 this, it's just everyone likes a bit of cake now and then. But to get people to really understand that actually this isn't just a little bit, the food supply has changed, our lifestyles have changed, our health is changing and not for the better. Coming back to that quote, that children are not expected to live as long as the generation before them. And let's remember that's the first time in human evolution that that's happening, that that's predicted. So our health is not going in the right direction and we are walking into a lot of future health problems for our children. Type 2 diabetes is only the tip of the iceberg with that. So I think I just wanted to make sure, I know that's a bit doom and gloom, but I wanted to make sure that we got that. in. so in terms of the work with schools, I think childhood obesity was all over the news again last week as a result of the, you know, linking it to the pandemic. Now we know the pandemic is going to have an effect because children... But you know their mental health's been affected. There's a link with food consumption and mental health. We know that children have not potentially been moving as much through the pandemic because they've not had their PE at school and things. So there is going to be a weight link. But for many children, the school meal is the most important nutritional element of their diet, and we have to remember that 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 makes that school meal so important so what you're doing with schools tell us a bit about the the, how schools can go through that that
0: standard with you so um i mean there are government guidelines and public health guidelines on nutrition and sugar um and it's a good thing for caterers to do their best to adhere to those so um what we do is review the menus and recipes that the caterers have and um we make calculations on the amount of free sugars they have across the week. So independent calculations, and we provide a report where we we highlight, you know, which of, are the largest offenders um, and this kind of thing, or in terms of sugar. And it can be quite surprising. And caterers can be quite surprised. Sometimes there are small tweets, tweaks that they can make. We usually make recommendations on you know, certain ingredients they might buy or, you know, uh, things that they might source. Sometimes there are really small tweaks that they can make to move them from, because it's a categorized certification from bronze to platinum. Um, and sometimes there's a very small tweak could be made to move them from silver to, uh, to gold or from gold to platinum. Um, and it can surprise them um, that, uh, you know, and then uh, the reason we sort of went that route was because we wanted to originally, we had gone for something more flat, you know, everybody being a platinum. But then we realized that they were actually a long, long way away by, for the. And so we just thought that actually, instead of them uh, going away and saying, no, we don't want to do this sugar thing, we won't look at it, um, we'd do a more hand holding exercise where we can kind of take them from the very beginning and advise them and help them upgrade and upgrade as much as possible.
1: And I think that's, that's
0: needed because, as you
1: say, I don't think people fully understand the amount of sugar within certain foods,
0: the implications of sugar. It's really critical because it's all about blame. I, what I would love to do is just get rid of this blame culture, okay? Because we're blaming obese people for being obese or overweight. I don't think that's, that's you know, I was on the radio, I can't remember when, to be honest, it was before the pandemic, it's like when before life had stopped. And I was being asked why there are so many people who are overweight in the UK. And I just thought, well, do you know, that's not even like, that, that's not the surprising question. The surprising question is, why is anybody thin? Because actually, the, it, the, our environment, you know, our weekly donuts in the office, our end of term sweets, and, you know, gratuitous treat giving, our, our culture, it's so ingrained in our culture that the real question should be, why is anybody thin? So it's not natural for people to not um, overeat in this kind of obesogenic environment. Um, So we're blaming people. It's very, very unhelpful. We should be supporting them as much as we can. I think that, again, I just want to come in on that point because this is something that
1: I I talk about a lot with obesity and I think obesity is so misrepresented in the media and in a very damaging way. Even last week when there was um, information, I was on the radio, I think it was last week talking about child obesity as a response to the BBC article. And we represent obesity in such a negative way Um, and it is a blame it is putting the blame on the individual and if it's children it's putting the blame on the parents and it is so wrong to do that on, on every front because one, it's not their fault. It's it's the landscape around us. So that is the fact that our food is unrecognisable to what it was 40 years ago, and it's been a very gradual change in the food supply. So nobody's noticed it too much. It's been so subtle and so gradual that the changes and, and decline in our health have also been subtle and gradual. But it's now the children coming into this being their, their sole diet, their sole landscape. I think one in five children in the UK have a diet predominantly made up of ultra processed foods. So, you know, the, the really hyper palatable foods that are almost entirely nutrient devoid. And that's nobody's fault because they are so much cheaper and more convenient. And if you live in certain parts of the UK, you don't have access to a shop, which has got fruits and vegetables. You have a street full of foods that are, you can just get quickly, cheaply, and your primary thing is to feed your family first and foremost, and that's what makes me sad as well, like you said earlier, that's what they're trying to do. They're being misled, and they're being made to be unhealthy through no fault or choice of their own, and that's that's what makes me upset as well, and I spent a lot of time this week writing about food poverty, and it's you know there's a huge link with food poverty, malnutrition, and obesity all within the same populations.
0: Yeah absolutely i mean did you know for example that the average food bank package contains 10 times the recommended level of sugar i i
1: do because this is exactly what i've been writing about this week i've been i've been doing an ideal food bank ideal food bank um presentation um to to how to create meals for under 5 pounds for a family of four from from items you can donate to a food bank because they are people think You've got to think, would I want to eat this? And we digress slightly into food banks now, but you've got to think, if you donate foods, would I want to eat it? Would I feed it to my children? Can I make a meal from it?
0: And if the answer is no. <laughs> you see, actually, often they'll they'll, they'll, be putting in, you know, they'll be putting in a lot of chocolate because they want to treat people. Again, as part of the culture, it's not necessarily that they're not wanting to do a good thing. And so one of the things which I think is counterproductive, by the way, on the talking of processed foods or, you know, I think processed foods as a whole are demonized. And I think there's, there's a reasonable reason for that. However, like you say, some people do rely on the sort of convenient ready option. And I think that if the convenient ready option were just made with healthier options, more accessible. So for example, you know, dried foods they've been kind of demonized alongside all of the other, you know, snacks and actually dried foods could provide Quite a lot of fibre and quite a lot of nutrition to people in low incomes, and they're practical. They don't go off. They're cheap. So there are these sorts of things, exactly. So there are these sorts of things where they will go for ambient, they will go for cheap, they will go for practical. So we should be addressing what options do they have within those types of foods? Do they have an option for a sugar-free lollipop? Do they have? I'll tell you. Give you one example of where where policy is a bit potty. Did you know that if you froze up a, a mango, you put a mango on a stick, and you put it into a pepper pig shape, right? And then you froze you froze it in a nice wrapper. You'd think that's a good lollipop for a kid, right? Now, actually, it's got 100% VAT because it's become a, an ice cream. Exactly, it's the branding so that you I would I think absolutely. that that kind of thing mm-hmm. could be addressed because this this could be the solution. Making these 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 you know instant ready product more healthy or at least giving people choices within the types of things that they would normally buy, like within an ice cream, within a pack of crisps, within, if they have something a little bit better, you know, like let's say they had a mango, a frozen mango ice cream and kale chips is definitely better than what, what they're having now, but they're still having chips and ice cream. So if we could address those, what options they have available and instead of penalizing the, um, the, the sort of healthier options with VAT, et cetera, by making them more desirable. Because I guess it com- if it becomes fun, you put fat on it. I think this is the general principle. But a donut, a sugary donut, doesn't have any VAT on it. Um, uh, you know, and all of this, so it's all a little bit strange of how the VAT is organized and actually shifting that around a bit to make these the healthier versions of the um you know whatever biscuits cakes chocolates ice creams the healthier ver- the healthier versions of that more you know have a little advantage that would be fantastic if they could do that yeah, absolutely there there are
1: some as you say some some sort of fairly obvious and straightforward things that could make a really big impact if only you know those who could make those influ- influential decisions could could take that step. And I just want to to bring it back to to Sugarwise and the school certification and go go back a few years. So we have recently been talking about tackling the the early years nutrition and before children get to school. So approaching nurseries and this for me is paramount because this for me is where the palate development starts and the future health is really taking shape because we know that naught to three in terms of nutritional development is a really crucial window for children. But also when we start weaning with foods and, and giving very small children sugary yogurts and cakes and and flavoured milkshakes and all those horrible synthetic, but
0: flavoured this and oh yeah, oh. Chocolates for snacks. They had locally chocolates for snacks in one of the nurseries I looked at, actually, for one year old.
1: So, so we want to tackle these issues, and and for me, it's only as education. So for me, it's all about getting. People don't want to be told to do something, and you know this as as well as I do. People don't like being told, "Don't eat that," because we've been, you know, we've been on the receiving end of being called mean, and over the years, um, so people don't want to be told that. But if people understand. This is the key. If people understand the real health associations with sugar, and we're never saying "never eat cake again," you know that's that's not the thing. It's it's being in control. It's having the balance. It's understanding the implications, and it's being very careful with food language, particularly around children. We don't bribe. We don't comfort. We don't reward with food, because all that leads to is emotional eating. Adults, and and I've worked with enough people to see those those very direct links. So. Tell us a bit about SugarWise and what's happening with, with early years, because I'm really excited about this element of, of of what you do.
0: So we, I mean, as you know, we started with um, primary schools, um, You know, part to be honest, partly because um, I was sort of self-influenced. My daughter was going into primary school and I kind of wanted to tackle that. There's a bit of self-interest there, I've got to admit, but. The, you can only do one thing at a time anyway. So that's why we started with, and also because the government supports um, primary school meals. So it's not quite as much of a private initiative um, as you have with um, nurseries. So that's, you know, that's quite one of the reasons why we tackled that first. And um, we, having sort of ironed out the issues um, with that certification and now established a a practical um, certification. Um, by the way, we've got like about a million children now in schools. I know, I meant country. to, I've had that on my list to you. That's amazing numbers of children that you've got. That's, that's, that's already making so that, an impact. That should be making an impact. I mean, I think that the missing, that I'll, I'll move on to the um, early years in just a second. But before I do, I wanted to mention that I think that there are two huge opportunities in policy for the government. And one is, Policy that addresses the availability of like for like options in food and drink. So, you know, a dried ambient snack might be like, let's let's replace a, a little chocolate bar with a little packet of raisins. So just like some things that are better that, you know, we're not talking about the the they have to shift from, you know, a chocolate bar to a um uh an organically grown, you know, carrots, you know, let's be realistic, but just, you know, some things that, so the availability of those like like swaps. And I gave you a great example with ice cream, you know, you could have a frozen um, ice cream or something like that. So the availability of those, um, and also the affordability of them. So addressing, you know, things like back customs and exercise, because before you educate people and tell them, They shouldn't have this. It's it's, it's so much easier if you just sort of say to people, do you know, instead of this, why not try that? It's so much easier as an education message. It's so much less punitive. And if those things aren't available, I mean, one of the things they could do, for example, is they could say to all of the supermarkets of more than a certain size, so the ones that, for example, have to close early on Sundays, they could say that in all of the 12 categories where children consume the most sugar in in the UK, they need to provide a low sugar or a sugar-free alternative. So that would be breakfast foods, it would be yogurts, it would be all of those categories that have been highlighted by public health in England already. So they could do something to kind of push the, or, or if, if we're not going to be punitive, if we're not going to be punitive, they could give some kind of an incentive, you know, lower the taxation for those types of things. And I think that would make such a big difference.
1: Definitely so, the price point
0: would, because otherwise you're 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 educating people,
1: but they can't necessarily afford to make the changes that you're advising. And I think that is a big barrier with, with the whole argument.
0: So moving on before people absolutely glaze over and dive <laughs> for them, we're moving on to the early years. Um if I mean my experience with early years was cl- clearly showing that something needed to be done and it needed to be done urgently. Um, and you know, ice, chalk ice is being snacks for a one year old. I mean, my husband could barely hold me back when I was like, <laughs> show me the nutritionist that has given you this advice. Mm-hmm. I think that some earlier settings are doing great work and they deserve recognition, but I think it would be really nice um, if like with the schools program, um, parents can easily differentiate between, you know, schools, have you know the sugar wise on their menus and schools that don't um it becomes more like with schools you're kind of like you're kind of forced into a school in the UK doesn't it, it depends. you on have more rate. choice with a nursery setting definitely with nurseries you can choose and you have a lot more choice so I actually think that the opportunity is even bigger for nursery settings um in in attracting you know parents who want healthier options for their child and That's an increasing number of parents. So I think that, you know, what's really hard, what's really like frustrating actually, is that many parents, I think we did a survey with NetMoms that showed 85% of parents wanted lower sugar options to be more available Mm. and many are struggling to actually get the options. And when I say get the options, they're like, you know, a a low sugar biscuit, for example, or an alternative ice cream or whatever. So those are options of stuff they would eat. So. The, the, the swaps which, which had been being recommended, and I remember talking to my supermarket and he said that, you know, one of the directors of my supermarket that, where they do these swap recommendations online, and he said originally that they were, they were swapping everything with, with water. Um, so if somebody wanted a Mars bar, for example, they would suggest the Perrier. Um, and it, it, he said it just they weren't doing it. They weren't doing well, it. No, no. Because it's not realistic that they're going to go from this to this. No. I go off on a tangent again early year settings what we're now in the in the process of is working with a partner i hope I hope that we're going to be working with a partner to go through the early years program um, starting with the primary um, uh, standards as our starting point and ironing out any issues that might be relevant to early years and we're, so we're going to be relying on that partner for a lot of feedback um, to help us make sure that we have this early years program appropriate and right. So we have the the categories and classes of Mm -hmm. it appropriately set. And then we're hoping to um, iron those things out and be able to launch it um, in um, next year. So Now, I want to say one thing, which is that I don't want any setting to feel like they can't approach us because they're not perfect right like perfectionism that interferes with the class of oh my gosh look at the menu we've got cake on Monday Tuesday and Friday we've got chocolate pudding on you know on on Thursday so they shouldn't they shouldn't feel ashamed of what it is that they have they should that where they are is where they are we know that they have an interest in improvement we don't want them to worry about where they are right now but be more excited by where they can be and, you know, the opportunity that they have to make a difference, you know? Uh, Absolutely. I think that, that's a really good point to um, to sort of bring us
1: almost to a close. I know that you and I could sit and talk about sugar all day and and I'm sure that that those listening probably are thinking that's enough about sugar, but we could. We could carry on for days, um, but I think we probably should be bringing it to a head. But I think it's, it's a really key point to say it doesn't matter. And this goes for individuals as well. It doesn't matter where you are now. It doesn't matter how bad your diet is because it's only going to get worse if you carry on within what you're currently doing. Making any change, making any swaps, making any changes is really beneficial. And the more we reduce sugar in our own diet, the less we actually want it. So it makes it easier it's almost like a weaning process it's almost like a going cold turkey the less we eat of it and I don't have time to go into the biology of why this is maybe that's a subject for another day but the more we the more we eat it the more we want it the more we don't realize we're eating it we overconsume without even realizing as soon as we start to make those changes that starts to lose its control over us so it becomes an easier process and that goes for settings as well with children. So I think it's it's been fascinating talking to you and we could certainly carry on for
0: much longer. But
1: but before everyone falls asleep, um, how can people find out more and get in touch with you and and follow you you we
0: have yeah we have a terrible website, sugarwise.org. Like it's really bad at the moment. So we are improving it. However, forbearing with us and contacting us and registering on it now. I mean, you probably won't hear anything, by the way, for a while while we're sort of sorting out the new website and everything. But we will be rewarding those people who um, just register their interest now and offer us their support now with whatever we can, you know, um, uh, later on, um, because we are really appreciative of any support that we can get. And I think the way people could support is just let your catering manager know, let your setting know about it. Um, let them get in touch with us, you get in touch with us, let us know that you're interested in hearing from us. Um, it's sugarwise.org, O-R-G, sugarwise.org. And, um, and yeah, don't, don't hold back, you know, just join us. Um, but I do warn you, it's a terrible. The website's embarrassing at the moment. I mean, these things, look, it's, you know, these, when you're trying to start something, unfortunately, these things, do, like I think some of you might relate to having some kind of a startup operation, and being like, "Oh, do I really want to send people to my website?" It's a bit embarrassing, but go to the website, sign up, and become a part of the Sugarwise family. And um, and then I say, wait six months, and then hopefully you'll get. It. <laughs> it may not be that long. We we hope. Hopefully so. <laughs> not. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But we will. Um, re- we do really appreciate um, you know your interest and support.
1: Well, it has been absolutely fascinating talking to you, Rand, and I, I may well we may have to have a, a series of these because I know there's so many things we could talk about. Ooh, also, for, recipes
0: and stuff we could be talking absolutely. about what people can do. I mean, there's loads of stuff. Oh, I d- don't get me. We need our, our own show. We need our own channel, don't we? But I mean, <laughs> I've, I mean, also, I'd like to hear from the audience that you have about what they're doing and like mm-hmm. challenges that they're facing and what could make things easier for them and what you know if they've got any pointers that they want to give other listeners you know that kind of thing so it'd be lovely to um to just get some comments i guess for your for your
1: podcast but certainly in terms of i always pop it out on on social on all the socials and in my newsletter. so there's always a way of feeding back um on those channels if not via the direct um links to the actual podcast so rend it's been absolutely lovely talking to you and and that's it for this podcast um, let's talk about sugar and we certainly will be back to talk more about sugar
0: another day you've been listening to louise's health kick podcast with louise messier discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child, or get in touch on social media. This
1: is a 1386 audio production.